Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo at Philly on Twitter, joined by Crossing Broad Phillies writer Bob Wankel, uh, also on Twitter at BW Crossing Broad. Bob, uh, it's funny that you know, we're recording a day later than usual, um, but we just got to sit down and watch the Phillies um, beat the Giants for the second straight night. Uh, four to two behind a great performance by Aaron Nola. They've won two in a row. But if we would have recorded it <laughs> on Sunday night after they blew the game in Washington, I think we would have been a little bit different mentality of of and an approach the way we would be talking about this team. Yeah, I think that we we record on a weekly basis, right? And uh, some weeks we get on here and things are looking great, and then other weeks it doesn't look so great. You know, we did it two weeks ago. They're fourteen and seven. They're rolling. I'm talking about trade deadline acquisitions, and then last week, you know, we go, well, wait, maybe pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, Sunday was rough. You know, that was a, a very difficult game to lose on Sunday. Another series loss to an NL East opponent. Uh, I think they've lost six of seven series now to the NL East. And they are 7-13 and 13 overall. And uh, had we recorded Sunday, I, I would have come on here pretty hot. I would have been talking about Hector Naris and how they grinded their way through this game. They were being dominated by Max Scherzer. 15 strikeouts. They hang in there. Nick Williams puts together a great pinch hit off a lefty. First hit of the season off a left-hander for Williams. Uh, Reese Hoskins gets a clutch double. Franco adds the homer. It's, it's their best win of the season, right? And then they just... Absolutely collapsed in the eighth and ninth innings. Tommy Hunter gave up, a, I think, a two-run single with two outs to Anthony Rendon. And then the ninth inning was just an absolute disaster uh, by Hector Naris. And so, you know, they stay, they stay in second place. They had a chance to, to tie Atlanta for uh, the lead in the division, kind of make a statement, and, and it would have been a great win for them. And my concern was that they were going to, you know, kind of go into a tailspin because of it, you know, I think they had lost four straight series at that point, and I thought this is a loss that could really cripple this team, a young team, you know, do they bounce back from it, and sure enough, here we are, two nights later, 2-0, and an impressive 11-0 win yesterday, and 4-2 uh, to tonight, dominant effort from Aaron Nola, and it's all good again for the Phillies, who are what, 20-15 and 15 now, after 35 that, that, games, that's, and that's correct. pretty yeah. damn good. 20-15, and 15. Um, their, their 20th win last year didn't come until, I think it was like June the sixth or something june 5th june 6th something like that so they're about a month ahead of where they were last year which is great um and once again though it really comes down with this phillies team as it has been all season and then this very well could be the tone for the entire year because it was like this you know we gotta remember the season started a little bit early this year it started at the end of march so we're now a month and a half into the season and when the starting pitching is going well the phillies win and when the starting pitching is not going well, the Phillies do not win. Yeah, they had a couple games where starting pitchers pitched well and the bullpen didn't hold the lead for them or whatever the case may be, and they might have lost it, but they were in at least in games that way. Um, you, you look at Nola tonight, boy, was he he was on fire tonight. 12 strikeouts uh, in seven innings. It's a career high. Uh, he threw 108 pitches, but it's because of all the strikeouts. He had 12 02 counts in this game against the Giants. That's yeah, 26 unreal. swings and misses tonight. That's unreal. Uh, he went from uh, – I saw this on Twitter. It was uh, – I'm not going to pretend like I got this one. Uh, Corey Seidman, uh, CSN Philly, tweets yep. out, he went from 24th in the National League entering tonight to 10th in the National League in swing, uh, swinging strike rate in one performance. Uh, that's that's absurd. You I, know, the, I, the – go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. I, well, I was just going to say, you know why? He threw uh, about 50% changeup. It was unbelievable how many changeups he was throwing tonight. He was throwing so many changeups against the Giants, and they were looking fastball and were way out ahead of it. They were way out ahead. That changeup was was filthy tonight. It's amazing. He entered the game tonight with a 6.9 K per nine ratio, right? I mean, and the story around him was kind of like, well, he's being more efficient with his pitches. Yeah, he isn't getting the strikeouts and, and the velocity was there. And we've talked a little bit about this in the past. The velocity's still there. You know, there's no dip in that. So there's really no reason to be concerned with his arm or, or anything of that nature. But the strikeouts really weren't there. And it was like he was making a concerted effort to pitch to contact. Well, not, not tonight. 
You know, uh, I think Tom McCarthy had said one point once he was removed from the game that he was the first pitcher since the expansion era, which is 1961. First Phillies pitcher since 1961 to record nine consecutive outs via strikeout. I mean, that's he he was crazy good tonight, and yeah. he's what down to 205 now ERA. I mean, it's he's been as good as anybody in the National League to this point. It's May the eighth right now as we're recording this. And uh, over the course of the next week, he'll get one more start before we record again next week. But is it too early to sit sit here and say Aaron Nola could well be a contender for a Cy Young this year? And maybe not even this year. Maybe even if he struggles a little bit, it ends up that he doesn't contend for it this year. But are we seeing enough of a maturation process in him as as a ace pitcher that at the age of 24 maybe in the next couple of years or even beyond the next couple of years, Aaron Nola is a guy we can expect to be at the top of that conversation, you know, year in and year out. Yeah, I mean, when we say he's a candidate for it, sure. I mean, to what extent? Top five, top ten? Yeah, I mean, is is he one of the best ten pitchers in the National League right now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, th- I think you could definitively say that. Um there's a guy down in Washington, though, uh, that, that I think might have something to say about, you know, being the lead dog for that at this point. I mean, you know, we just talked a little bit about Max Scherzer there a second ago, and uh, he's, what, 6-1? and one? Uh, yeah. 13.9 strikeouts per nine innings right now. I mean, he's, he's Cy Young right now if the season ends today, right? There's just I, – I don't think that there's anybody that, that could claim it over him at this point unless I'm leaving yeah. out somebody that – No, no, you're right. You're 100% right. But one thing I want to say about the strikeouts per nine for every pitcher in baseball, they're all going up. Yeah, (laughs) They're all going up. It's all going up. I mean, every every game, the double-digit strikeouts, because nobody's afraid to strike out anymore. It's just like, well, we're just going up there and free swing, and that's it. I mean, that's baseball anymore, right? I mean, that's a a whole other conversation we can get into. But um, So, I mean, I'm, I'm not as impressed this year by high K per nine rates. Right. Um that as I would be in previous seasons, but um, yeah, you're right. Scherzer has been incredibly dominant to this point, and again, yeah. it's seven starts into the season, so it's not like he's you know we're talking twenty five starts in and we're looking at it. But yeah, point eight five two whip. Yeah, I mean yeah. he's just been he's been outrageous. But yeah, I mean back to the point with Nola. Sure, yeah, I mean he's been he's been great. He's certainly an all star at this point, right? Uh, I think that that's a, a slam dunk. Uh, and I think that he's certainly kind of proving himself. I think I think the idea was, oh, he's a nice pitcher. He doesn't have elite stuff though, so he's he's not an ace, right? He's more of like a, a really good two or a, a really good three, a middle of the rotation, maybe a two three type guy. And I think he's proving that he is more than that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he he's you know it's and again it's it's early in the season and he's doing this and this is really you know he struggled. What was it? The first two months of last year, and then he turned it on. He had that great run of. Was a fourteen or fifteen straight starts um, where he was just really as good as as we had ever seen him. Um, and they had a couple of uh, you know games he'd like to forget at, towards the end of the year, but coming into this year, you go back over the span of of a full calendar year, he's I, I argue that he'd be one of the best pitchers in baseball if you look at it statistically. So I mean, it, it's a he's a guy who I think. And he's only 24. I mean, that's the other thing to keep in mind. I mean, he's only 24. It was starting pitchers last, you know, for a while. I mean, we're, we're, I'm sitting here thinking about it tonight, and I'm saying, geez, you know, we could be looking at, you know, five years from now, Aaron Nola's like, okay, well, you know, let, you, you got Nola locked up for another three, four years, you know, as he's just getting ready to turn 30. And I'm like, well, that's five years down the road from now. I mean, you're, you're really looking at a guy who's got, you know, pending – assuming he doesn't have any you know, arm injuries, he's got a decade ahead of him where he can be one of the better pitchers in the game. And that's that's a great thing to have on your side. Is he under the radar nationally? I mean, yeah. I, I think he's almost under the radar in the city of Philadelphia. You know, you talk about the top athletes in the city, and I don't think if, if you ask the average person on the street, you know, give me your five best athletes in the city of Philadelphia right now, you know, it's going to be Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Carson few Eagles, Wentz. right? Yeah, Carson Wentz and a couple other right. Eagles to fill it in. And, you know, people aren't going to, to say Aaron Nola, but he right now is is as good as anybody. And I, I almost feel like there's an underappreciation of and, him. And you know why? I mean, he's his numbers compare very 
closely to Cole Hamels when Cole Hamels first came into the uh, into Major League Baseball, and in you know they're into their fourth season. Um, if you look at their stats to this point side by side, they're almost identical. The reason Hamels had so much more pub was because the Phillies were awesome. Right, I mean, they were a great team. They were they were they were a burgeoning team. Everybody got excited. Did he debut in two thousand six? Is that I think he he debuted in oh six, and so like oh seven was like his official rookie year. Okay, Um, and that was the year, of course, the Phillies won the division for the first time, and then it was his second season in a World Series when he was World Series MVP. Right, I mean, so I mean that's what I'm saying. Like, so he was blossoming as the team was winning a championship and going back to the World Series and winning the five straight division titles. So that I mean that's that was the difference there, um, whereas you know Nola is doing this in kind of obscurity because the Phillies were a bad team in the last couple of years, and although that there's a little bit of excitement around them right now, it still hasn't completely caught on yet. I wonder it, how know, much of you, that. You look, I, I wonder how much of that kind of like ties into what the Sixers are doing right now, or, or you know sure. they're they're obviously they're playing in the. Eastern Conference, you know, semifinal at this point. It, when right. this season wraps up and the Phillies become the only show in town, if they can continue to play well, you know, 20 and 15 out of the gate here now, if, if they remain relevant into the summer and this team makes a push and they start winning some games and you say, look, they have all these young players, this kid's pitching out of his mind. I mean, that ascension can happen quickly. You know, oh, I think yeah. that no, this, I, this has a chance to be the year where he kind of gets that exposure and that recognition that he hasn't gotten to this point. Yeah, no, I've always I've always felt that with baseball, unless you have uh, a team with high expectations or you got off to some incredible start, that people don't really pay attention till school lets out, right? Because that's when you want to take your kids down to the game. That's when everybody's going, you know, oh, it's summertime. He's going to go sit down at the ballpark, whatever. And that's when you really start to pay attention. So I, I think the Phillies will kind of be in obscurity, even you know, even if the Sixers um, lose to Boston. Um, I, I think that the, the Phillies will still, you know, not be. I mean, there was not a lot of people down there tonight. It was a beautiful night, um, and there, there was a lot of empty blue seats down there for the game. Um, and again, because I, I, the, the city just hasn't really realized yet what the Phillies are. I think give it and, another and, month. You get to when, yeah. when the schools let out, you know, and it's, yep. it's mid June. If they're still hovering around first place, they're a game out or a game ahead somewhere in that area. Yeah, people will show uh, up. Yeah, people are going to start showing up, and then all of a sudden they're going to, I think, realize, yeah, this Odubel Herrera guy, like he's awesome. Uh, Aaron yeah. Nola, he's awesome. So yeah. uh, it, you know, I think it's coming. I think I think we're we're approaching that point. I agree. Um, and, and just before before you move on, I, and I, I don't, I, you know, we didn't even talk about this pre-show. But it, we would be remiss not to mention Zach Eflin's performance in the eleven nothing game, um, as well as his first start that he that he gave the Phillies, um, filling in for um, the injured Ben Lively. Zach Eflin's looked looked really good. It's two starts and only two starts, but boy does he look good. Boy does he have more life on his fastball. Boy does it look like those knee surgeries helped a lot because he's using his lower half and really driving through the through his pitch. Um, he's looked he looked good in those two starts. I wasn't very high on him coming into the season. I, yeah, I kind of just figured he was, who was? Orga- organizational <laughs> depth at this point, you know, right. for who exactly was? this reason. You know, he'll get a spot start here. He'll kind of just, you know, he might give you five innings, give up three, four runs, and we can move on with our lives. Um, he has been outstanding. And I, he had starts over the previous two years where, you know, he came in and he, was lo- he looked good, right? I mean, he, he had flashes. He, he had yeah. games where he went deep and, and – very efficient, uh, one-run game, shutout performances. I mean, he has done this before. So there's part of me that is, a, you know, it's only two games, and so I'm naturally skeptical for that reason. But I'm like, well, he's done this before, and then he's followed it up with complete clunkers. Are we about to get another one of those, or is this a different show? Now, like you said, he's healthier. Uh, it looks like there's much more life on his pitches there, I think, is some reason to be optimistic and, and encouraged by what we've seen here. But is it just going to revert back to the whole, like, well, he's either really good or he's really bad? Because we've also yeah. seen starts where it's the third inning and there's seven runs on the board. So so, so I think I think ultimately what this Phillies team needs to figure out this year is you know you have an ace in, in NOLA, and uh, and in, basically you might pretty much have two with Arietta as well. I mean, it, one thing we talked about, the Scherzer, how well Scherzer pitched against the Phillies. You know, the reason the Phillies were in that game and grinded in that game is because Arietta pitched a heck of a game as well on the other side. So, I mean, he's like another ace. So you got, you got your top two spots pretty locked up. 
Um, you now really have to find three, four, five. Pavetta showed us a lot early, but his last couple starts have not been good at all. Um, we'll see if he bounces back tomorrow against the Giants, uh, which would then be, uh, as, as we're recording this, it would be a Wednesday start, um, and see how he does in that game. Um, but beyond that, they've really had nothing. I mean, Velazquez, we've we've gone over six million times. Um, it was funny. I was down at the game in Washington on Saturday, and I was texting you when he had a no hitter into the fifth inning. I'm like, oh, watch this happen after after we killed him last week. Uh, but then in and what did I say? I said he sucks. There's yeah, no cl- world that exists in which this guy will throw a no hitter. Yeah, and in a classic Velasquez fashion, he gives up a home run to Wilmer Defoe, um, and that, and then he got himself into trouble and got out of the game. So. Um, so we, you don't see anything out of him. We didn't see anything out of Lively. I mean, you got Eikhoff coming back from the from the injury, um, and Eflin's giving you a couple of nice starts. But the Phillies need to really find is three, four, five. Yeah, well, Who one interesting thing on uh, that. One interesting thing on Eflin, real quick. You know, you said that the, it seems like the pitches have more life, and and the numbers yeah. back that up. Uh, average four seam fastball velocity last year, ninety three point seven miles per hour. It's up to ninety five point four miles an hour this yeah. year the uh, slider's up over a mile yeah. an hour and uh the sinker is up over a mile an hour too i mean he's he is throwing the ball with with the greater velo well you, you 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 know you've been around the game as a coach i've i've coached as well okay i mean we're not we're, we're not the greatest coaches in the world but i mean we, you know, we've been around the game right um you know that pitching a lot of pitching is your legs and and you know everybody thinks oh it's all it's all the arm action and everything yeah of Absolutely. course the arms yeah. the arms important right that's that that's the money maker but the but most of a lot of pitching comes from your lower half and if you had to get two knee surgeries and you really couldn't drive off that back leg and, and you know whatever the case might be you're probably not going to reach your ultimate potential so here's a guy that's come off of two knee surgeries um, really had uh, he added a little bit of weight in the off season looks bigger looks stronger. And yeah, it's his his velocity is up by two mile, almost two miles per hour. I think that's the reason why. Well, let me let me ask you this: this this becomes interesting. You say that the one of the main things the Phillies have to do this year is they have to figure out what they have in these arms, right? So let's just say you know Aaron Nola is obviously a lock here. Jake Arrieta is a lock under this situation or the scenario that I'm going to present to you. Uh, Jared Eikhoff comes back. Who's the odd man out? Uh, it should be Velasquez. I mean, in my mind, but uh, you know, I mean, if you, I would, I would like to roll through. In all honesty, I would like to roll through a couple months. I mean, you assume Pavetta. It's just a couple bad starts, but it could very well be that you know what we saw early was the mirage. Who knows? Um, I still think, and we've said this before, he's got the he's got the stuff to be a three um, in Major League Baseball. So I'd like to see him, you know, get back to that. You throw you throw Eikhoff in as your four. And then you got to figure out who the five is. Um, if it's Zach Eflin, it's Zach Eflin. You know, I mean, it's not Vince Velasquez. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I would like to see that. F- I wouldn't mind seeing that f- five man rotation roll for you know a good month and a half, two months, leading into the All Star break and see what happens. I mean, I think that would be an in- an intriguing five man rotation. And, and you know, if you get three out of five really good starts, one mediocre and one that's not great, okay. That's going to be pretty good every every, you know, 10 games you're probably going to win 6 out of 10. And if you're winning 6 out of 10, you're a playoff team. I've made my feelings about Vince Velasquez pretty well known and, and if you listen last week, it was glaringly obvious I went on a 90 second tirade against him and how I'm done with him. With that said, uh, I'll backpedal a little bit here. Has he been bad enough to be taken out of the rotation? That's the only thing I struggle with. I, I, I don't like his game. I don't think he's evolved. I think the numbers back up that what he has been over the past couple seasons is what he's going to continue to be. But the numbers aren't that bad. And, uh, you know, one of the other things is he's not giving up a ton of hard contact. I mean, he's had some bad starts and, and teams have hit him around a little bit, but the numbers kind of bear out that he's he's actually pitched a generally pretty weak contact and it's just like he's he's kind of just doing enough to hang in there you know yeah I, I, but he's doing enough to hang in as what as a number 5 starter yeah and, and if that's the case do you do you want to have that be what you're doing like crossing your fingers and hoping that he can get you through 5 innings because there's some games he's not even getting 5 innings he's going out 4 and 2 third 
Um, is that what is that what you want to see, or would you want to see somebody who's you know showing you a little bit of life on that fastball, like we've talked about with Eflin in two games? Again, two games. But you know, if if Zach Eflin stays in the rotation here and you know starts giving you a, a string of starts that kind of look alike, what's your option? Like, like, is there is there an option? I mean, I don't think there uh, is. I guess it's that we'll see Vince Velasquez as that lights-out closer, what he's been projecting <laughs> him to be for the past two seasons. Right. Um, be, before we go too much further here, because I know there are a couple other things that we definitely want to get to, yeah. um, you know, I mentioned it at the very top. The Phillies are 7-13 and 13 now against the NL East, and they're 13-2 and two against everybody else. That's 867 baseball this team's playing right now outside of the division. To what extent, if, if any at all, are you concerned about their performance within the NL East? Are we uh, going down the whole small sample size you know, route here, or, so, or are we a little bit concerned about this? So the only, the only games that really concerned me were the Marlins, because that's a team you can't lose to them. You can't lose a series to the Marlins. I'm sorry. You, know, you play them 18 times a year. You've got to go 14-4 and four against the Marlins. You really do. I mean, they're, they're, they're a they're terrible. <laughs> they're the worst. I, I listened to one of our shows, uh, I think it was three weeks ago, and you had actually slipped in a line like, yeah, you know, you might lose one or two to the Marlins along the way. Like, yeah. You yeah. literally meant that. Yeah. yeah, but no, that's it. I mean, you really should. I mean, I, I'm being realistic when I say 14 and 4. Like, that's what you should be against the Marlins. So that's the only one that really concerns me. The Braves, Braves got a really good lineup, and the Braves are in first place for a reason because they're playing really good baseball. Phillies had to play them nine times already, and, and so that's the brunt of this struggle because the Braves are off to a good start, and they they've had you know done well against the Phillies. I, I, I discount the two game Met series. It was twenty two degrees and rainy and miserable, and it's just it was just what it was. The National Series, the game Sunday is the only one that really bothered me. I mean. You know, they lose the opener. Okay, fine. They played a really nice game on Saturday, even if Velasquez started. But they, they played a nice game all around. Pedro Florimond makes a, a heady veteran play at, in the ninth inning to kind of, you know, bait Trey Turner and, and cause a double play. That was a big play. So Sunday is the one. I mean, Sunday's the game where, you know, you have the marquee pitching matchup and – Arietta goes toe to toe with Scherzer, and the Phillies find a way to get some get Scherzer out of the game. I mean, the, the one thing Scherzer struck out what fifteen guys in six and a third innings, which is a major league record for that short of a period of time. Six and a third innings, fifteen strikeouts, and yet they were able to get him out of the game because they they took a, they worked him. They took a yeah, lot of. Pitches. I was actually surprised he even went back out in the seventh inning. Yeah, I mean, he was at a hundred pitches at that point. So yeah, they worked him hard, and and that's that's a credit to them because it was like, okay, look, we're not hitting this guy, we're not touching this guy. But if we force him to throw enough pitches, we can get to their bullpen. Because the Nationals, for some reason, they can't figure out how to put together a bullpen. And their bullpen, even though Doolittle's been decent, their bullpen is still a mess. It's not very good. Um, and that's where the Phillies took advantage and took the 4-1 lead. And you thought, this is awesome. This, was, this is t- going to turn out to be the best win of the year. And it turned out to be the worst loss of the year. Yeah, and, then, um, and then Hector Neris steps on the mound and goes single, hit by pitch, walk, walk, single. <laughs> and yeah, well, uh, that and, was that. And the, sing- <laughs> the, sing- the single, the last single by Defoe shouldn't have been a single. I don't know what the hell they were doing going with a five-man infield at that point. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I struggle with don't that. Don't do one, it. Don't do I'm it. Not, fine. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going off. I'm not going to say anything specific. I just didn't understand it. I agree. I with think. You. I believe. I believe somebody put a tweet out there highlighting the big gap in center field. I, actually, I <laughs> tweeted about it. Uh, that, that's what I was referring. <laughs> to. Yes, yeah, I you. did. Uh, and and there were a couple. Bob. There were a couple Gabe Kapler defenders out there and said, "Well, it would have been deep enough to score him anyway." I said, "Maybe, you know, but things I, do happen out there, you know." So, I mean, I, th- I think he hit that ball about 295 feet. So. Yeah, I, uh, and uh, it was Howie Kendrick on third base. It would have been a play. It would have been a play terribly at the plate. fleet of foot. So yeah, you know, I mean, it, it would have been a play to think at the about. Plate. Yeah, it certainly would have been a play at the plate. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, so that that so that one that one bothered me. So when you look at the games in the division, I, that one bothers me. The Marlins bother me. That's it, really, though. I mean, other than that, yeah, hey, Braves have your number in April. Okay, we'll see how when you see them again in September if, if things are different at that point. Um, the Mets, we'll, we'll get a better feel for the Mets this weekend because we're going to have nice weather here in Philly. Um, and, yes, the Phillies struggle against the Mets every time they play them, but I want, yeah, the Mets have not looked good lately. I want, yeah, they've they got been off to bad such a great start, and they've been terrible lately. Let's see how they look this weekend. I mean, the Phillies are going to 
They have their their better pitchers lined up to face the Mets. It's going to be interesting. I I think that by the by this time next week when we're talking on the podcast next week, we'll have a real sense for you know how the where the Phillies fit in this uh, in the National League East. All right, very good. Now let's talk about my man, Michael Franco. Holy cow! Yeah. where did he come from, Bob? Where did he come from? Yeah, uh, I struggle with this. I've I've tried to put this off as much as possible. Uh, you know, I, I get texts from my friends because, like, when I when I go out and I start having a few, Michael Franco is the guy that I rail on. I'm like, this guy sucks, and that's kind of been my stance. And I said, I I get it. You know, every now and then he squares up a ball. And you go, wow, that swing's really pretty, and he has all the tools. And I know 2015, he came onto the scene, and he hits 280, pops like 15 homers, knocks in a bunch of runs. You remember that series he had in Yankee Stadium, like in yeah. 2015? He had like back-to-back, back-to-back games. games with five RBIs yeah, or something? Yeah, uh, it was yeah. awesome. And you're thinking, you know, Schmidt, Roland, Franco. You know, that's the, that's the succession right there. And uh, he obviously was terrible in 2016, failed to adapt last season. And, and this year he has recovered a little bit. He's off to a good start. He's hitting 278 after tonight's game. Um, you know, the OPS is up. He's knocking in runs at a, a very good pace. Actually, uh, after Sunday's game, he was on pace for 128 RBI and uh, 29 home runs. So it has been a bounce-back season. Do you, do you trust it? I guess is the question. Do you trust what you've seen from him? I mean, are you optimistic that he can sustain this, or is this just going to eventually revert back to the, the same old story with him? Can I hedge and say let's give it another couple weeks? No, <laughs> because I give you're, you uh, you're doing a podcast, and your job here is to deliver takes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I do like the difference in approach at the plate. Like, I, I, I see him getting, you know, he's he, – there are zones in his in, – um, in his strike zone that he has struggled in the, with in the past, that he's actually turned it around a little bit. The pitch up and in in the strike zone, he's actually done a nice job with that. Um, he's done a nice job keeping his hands back on pitches that are uh, uh, away but still in the strike zone and able to go the opposite field with it, which is not something he would always do. Um, he was such a he was such a dead pull guy. Um, so there have been moments where I sit here and watch him, and I'm saying, you know what? He's he's actually made changes and he's looking improved. He's looking confident. Um, he still swings at bad pitches. That's what I'm t- you know, and at, at, there are times when you're sitting there like, oh, yeah. I was just getting excited for you, and then you would go out and swing at that. Um, he's not he's not taking a lot of pitches. I mean, his walk rate is down right now, um, and he was never a big walker to begin with. I mean, if you look at like, he, you know, over the last two years, I think he walked forty times each of the last two seasons. Um, so he's not he's not a guy who walks a lot, but he's only I think he's walked seven times this year. I mean that's that's not a lot either. So I'm um, I'm watching the game on Sunday, right? And uh, I wrote about this on uh, yesterday morning. Actually, it ran on the site, and he comes up to the plate against Max Scherzer in the second inning, and it's a two-two count, and he fouls off three consecutive pitches, and he takes a changeup low in the zone. And it's a full count. And this is a pitch that he has swung over time and time and time again over the last two years. And he just gets himself out. And instead, he lays off of it. He works the count full. And then Scherzer goes away about six inches off the outside corner of the plate with a 94.8 mile-per-hour four-seam fastball. And rather than roll over on it or try to do too much with it, he stays back and he flips it into right field for a base hit. And you would have thought that he hit a 530-foot home run the way that I reacted to this at bat. I was like, wow. You know, I I, I would have told you last week, I think I said I wanted him and Velasquez both shipped away. It was a a quote that I used. I I mean, he's a guy that I, I don't really trust. But when I watched this at-bat that he put together on Sunday, I said, this is not an at-bat that he had a year ago or, or in 2016 either. I mean, it was really impressive. Now, my, my hypothesis about Franco's, or Franco's improvement was that, well, it, it, it's basically predicated upon the fact that he's been more selective. But as you said, that's not true, actually. If you look at it, he's still swinging at the exact same amount of pitches outside of the strike zone, and he's still swinging at the same amount of pitches inside the strike zone. So he's not been any more selective necessarily, but it does seem like even if the numbers don't say that he's been more selective in terms of pitch to pitch, I mean, it does seem like he has a better all, a better overall approach. It seems right, like so he is, is working counts a little bit deeper, and, and he's, he's mashing fastballs, which I'll talk about in a second, but go ahead. 
Yeah, and so uh, that's what I was about to just say. I said, so yeah, he. If you look at the the raw overall numbers, nothing's changed. But I think that if you if you look at it at bat to at bat, you, you might sit there and say, okay, in this situation specifically, he wouldn't have done this last year or the year before. He he's definitely different here, and he's definitely different here, and he's definitely different here. And if you took each of his hundred and some plate appearances he's had probably close to 120 now at this point. Um, if you look at all of those plate appearances and and you really break them down, I bet you would find more that it says that you say that's so unlike Michael Franco from the last couple of years than you would find the ones that say, oh yeah, that's just like Michael Franco from the last couple of years. And that's that's what I mean by that. So the the in the grand scheme, it's probably very similar, very you know linear. But I think that if you identify specific situations and look at each individual at bat on its own, unique from each other, I think you will find differences in the way he's approached, uh, approaching his at bats. Yeah, so check this out. Last year against four seam fastballs, right? He hits 233, uh, 285 uh, on base percentage, 456 slugging percentage. This season, the slash line goes 371, 436, 686. All right. Fastballs uh, created or runs uh, above average created off the fastball. Um, he was actually a negative 9.3 a year ago to a 3.1 so far this season. So, like, what does that actually mean? He, he was a terrible hitter, a subpar hitter against fastballs a year ago, and he's been an elite one so far this season. He's actually hitting worse against the slider. So if you feel like, hey, I'm still watching this guy flail away and, and make poor contact against sliders, that's because he is. He hit 186 a year ago. He's down to 136 this season. He's actually been worse. But his fastball numbers have been off the charts. I mean, he's been, he's been giving elite-level production against the fastball this season, and that's really been the biggest – the biggest swing in his overall numbers, if you go and look through all the peripherals, all the secondary numbers, that's the one jump that is, is drastically different than it was a year ago is what he's doing against fastballs. And, and it's probably what we're talking about here. It's indicative of his selectivity. He, in other words, he know, he's able to recognize the fastball better and knows when it's coming and therefore – um, he's able to, you know, he knows where they're going to pitch it, where, in what zone, what part of the, which, which of the nine zones it's going to be in, and he's going to, and he's going to swing for it, and that's what you're getting out of him right now. So that's what I think. That's what we mean when we say he's be, he's got better selectivity. Not necessarily that he's not swinging at bad pitches because he still does, and every player does on this team. It's it's so depressing, really. I mean, to watch watch it happen night yeah, in. Yeah, at night least out. they're working the the counts uh, though a little bit. Yes, uh, you know they are, but they still swing at terrible pitches. And I, I sit there and I, I bang my head against the wall sometimes. But um, but when I that said, it's I think that's born more from over aggressiveness. I, I think that they're when they're being more selective and what the, what Matt Klintak likes to say is controlling the strike zone. I think they really are. I think they are really sitting there and identifying when certain pitches are going to be thrown to them and in what locations, and then that's what the ones that they are taking advantage of. And Franco, maybe more than anyone else, has surprised us in, in his ability to do that this year. Did you read the uh, Scott Lauber story on Philly.com about the change in his swing and, and what yeah. they've been trying to do to it? Yeah, so, Scott's a good writer. Yeah, and it's all about like launch angle and how they're they're trying to get him to lift more balls because and he's not. <laughs> they looked, yeah, they looked at the exit velocity and they said, "Well, you're hitting the ball hard, but you know, you're just you're hitting the ball right, in, you're beating it into the ground, and you're hitting into a lot of outs because of it. And the ball's not getting out of the infield, and you don't have good enough speed, right? And so it's well, we want you to improve your launch angle, but it's gone down, like you said, 11.4% a year ago to 10.4% this year, and the ground ball percentage is almost exactly the same. He's like still hitting the ball on the ground almost 45% of the time. So there's been absolutely no change in, the, in terms of angle or the amount of fly balls that he's producing. And so the, I feel like that's what makes it hard. Like I set out to kind of figure out, like, well, should I trust this? Are there numbers here that support that this is not an aberration, that this is something that we can really say there's tangible evidence that there is some sustainability to what we're seeing from him but there really isn't it, it, there's just 
it's all over the place. Yeah, he changed his swing to elevate the ball more, but he's not elevating the ball more. He's still not hitting all speed pitches. He's still swinging at the same amount of pitches outside the strike zone. The only thing that really jumps out is his production against the fastball. And, and could you possibly say that, yes, he's made corrections to, to be more selective to get those fastballs, and he knows what to do when he's getting them? I, I guess so. But you can't make any definitive conclusions about sustainability based on that alone. So that's why I'm still a little bit... I don't want to use the word skeptical. I mean, I, I respect what he's done here. He's, he, this is a great start for him. But I'm not ready to say, yeah, yeah, this is this is for real. No, I and I understand. Um, his if you if you look at him compared to 2015, um, other than the on base, which is the only thing where it's still low, it, he's either exceeding or right on par with what he did in that year when everybody thought. Oh my God, Michael Franco is going to be the third best third baseman they've ever had. Um, his OPS plus, for example, is 127 right now. It was 130 in 2015. I mean, that's that's pretty good, right? Um, his o, his OPS specifically was 840 in 2015, 835, and this was before tonight, so it might might have gone down a one or two, but eight so 835 tonight uh, this year. Um, his slugging percentage was 497 in 2015. It's 519 this year, so it's up. Right, and so like I actually wrote about this a little bit, and I said I'm I am comforted by the fact that he has done this before for some sustained amount of time. I mean, we did see this. It's not like he's in completely foreign territory. He's completely outperforming past performance. There was a 330 plus at bat sample here where we saw him give this type of production that we've seen so far at the start of this season and mm-hmm. and again he did that as what a 20 a 22 year old and he's only 25 years old so i mean there is there is some reason to believe it you know just because we have seen something like this before from him um but it's kind of hard to just forget about 2016 2017 it's it, you're I, right it's it is very hard to forget about it and um it's it's really kind of hard to and when you look at it you're trying to figure out you know you did that nice little dive into trying finding where where this is where the difference is and you you know okay you came across the fastball thing other than that there's really not a lot there to to identify so that's why I want to wait a little bit longer because I want to sit here and say well maybe we don't know enough yet maybe we have to we have to call a little bit more we got to watch a little bit more you know his strikeout rate is 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 down um He's at the best point in his career uh, with the number of, of at-bats he goes per strikeout. It's at 6.9 right now. And that's the best he's ever been. Um, and, and his strikeout-to-walk ratio is pretty good in comparison to other seasons. It's down to 2.14, um, whereas in 16 it was 2.65. It was 2.32 last year. Um, so, I mean, his number of at bats per home run is is at the best it's ever been. It's only seven. You know, he gets a home run every seventeen point three at bats. Uh, even in twenty fifteen, it was twenty one point seven. So I mean, th- there are things that are trending in his in his direction, but we can't identify why. And this might be one of those instances, Bob, where we can't rely specifically on the numbers. This might be one of those instances where it's. It's base. It's rooted more in confidence. It's rooted more in you know how he feels about himself. Um, it's rooted more in things that can't be measured. And maybe this, maybe you know, you have that happen from time to time. And and I think that this could well be one of those. Can he sustain it over the full season? We'll see. Um, I'm not convinced that he can. I think at some point we're gonna we're gonna have the regression, and then we're gonna have to see how he reacts to that regression. But I I really want to give it. Another, I really want to give him another couple of weeks. Let's see if he's maintaining this through May, and 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 now you have two full months. You have two hundred fifty plate appearances, whatever, and, and he's still doing this. Then yeah, maybe he can. Maybe he can put it together for an entire year. And that's where your mind starts to kind of your imagination starts to get you know run away with you a little bit. It's like, well, if he can do this, and now Carlos Santana is heating up for all that hard contact and line drive rates and historical data you know his 2014 season looks a lot like his 2018 season we spent a lot of time talking about that he's he's gotten it going here lately now and you go well if he starts hitting and now you watch Jorge Alfaro he's mashing 
435-foot home runs, and you go, if he can do that a little bit, and they get just a little bit of production out of the shortstop position, Odubel Herrera looks like a, an all-star. You know, you start to kind of let things – you say, man, they, they could be pretty good, you know? And, and it, it's it, that's where I keep getting tied up. I keep getting – my I, I am very easily seduced by this. I, I feel like – that this is going to click. I, I feel like that they're for real. I feel like they're going to linger around this summer. I think this is going to be interesting. And, uh, you know, I'm probably just saying that because I watched them play really good baseball for the past two nights, and I'm not thinking so much what I saw about the four series before that. But, you know, there is something here, you know. There's there's definitely something here, and there's definitely something to be excited about, and there's definitely something that's going to keep our interest through the summer. But we also have to remember where they are in this whole thing. And they're just at the beginning of the of the climb back up the mountain. And and that's what, you know, ultimately we have to remember. And it's a lot of things that I've been trying to I've been consoling my you know, my uh Sixers fanatics the last couple of weeks, saying, you know what, guys? Did did we ever expect them to win fifty two games and make it to the second round of the playoffs this year? No, nobody did. And so the fact that they did, this is all gravy, this is all bonus. So I think you can look. You can say the same thing with the Phillies. Like you know, from it'll fluctuate a little bit from night to night. You're going to get games that aren't. They're going to frustrate you, but you're going to get games like tonight. We're going to like, wow, they played really well, um, and that's fine. And that's the course of a 162 game baseball season. But you, you just have to remember if things do go south at any point, where they are in this thing, and they're they're working their way back and they're getting there. I have a concern though about what's coming for this team. And if you really look at it, and there was a story that broke today on uh, MLB.com, and it's through their um, pipeline, which is their minor league um, arm. They removed Mickey Moniak from the top 100 prospects in Major League Baseball. And why would they do that? Well, <laughs> Mickey Moniak, the 2016 number one overall pick. Um, this year, I mean, last year he didn't have a great year in Lakewood, okay? Um, I think that's being he, polite. He yeah. yeah, he hit 236, 284 on base, 341 slugging, 625 OPS. It was just kind of a crap year, okay? But at 19 years old uh, in the Sally League there, I mean, okay, fine. So they put him in high A this year, which is in Clearwater. And through his first 28 games down there, 116 plate appearances. His batting average got worse. It's down to 221. His on-base percentage has gotten ridiculously worse. It's 233. He's only walked twice all year long. His slugging percentage is 265. He's only got five extra base hits, all doubled. No triples, no home runs. 498 OPS. He's been horrendous. Horrendous this season in Clearwater at age 20. And he supposedly put on more weight and was going to have a more power and, and you know become a better player. Yeah, that was the big he, thing heading into 2017, that he had gotten stronger and he was going to hit you know more gap power and, and add to the power totals. And, and that did not happen a year ago. And uh, some of the things you read look kind of like scouts had said that the swing had become longer, uh, less dynamic, less athletic the swing. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've watched a ton of Mickey Moniac tape. You know, I'm not going to, you know, try to act like a, a hitting instructor here, but nothing that you heard about his game uh, was, was particularly encouraging. And, and now you read these numbers and you go, well, you would, you would think an elite level prospect such as Moniac would have made some changes over the course of the off season that would have, you know, bared some better numbers here at the start of this one, and it, that has not happened. And, and I think that there's obviously legitimate reason to to worry that you may never see this guy get up here. Now, I don't know if that's that sounds like a hot take or not, and I, I don't want to bury a 20-year-old kid uh, that obviously does possess some talent, you know, enough to, to warrant the first overall pick in the draft, uh, though he probably was not the best player in that draft. I think that a lot of that had to do with money and, and, and other issues and factors. But um, – uh, yeah, it, it's definitely uh, it's definitely not been an encouraging start for him. No, it hasn't, Bob. And the thing of it is, is Moniak is not alone. If you go back and look at the Phillies' first round draft picks in recent years, who are considered, you know, they're on their top thirty prospects, they're not off to good starts this year. Adam Hazley, the 2017 first round pick, 
He's um, he's at Clearwater High A as well uh, with Moniac. He's hitting two sixty one, which is okay, but he's on base is two seventy three. Another guy who's only walked twice all year long. Uh, slugging three fifty three. That's terrible. He's got uh, eight extra bases. He's got one more extra base hit than Moniac. So he's another one not doing it, not you know coming through at, at, at high A ball. And again, but, it's, it's six it's six weeks, but it's not impressive. But what about Cornelius Randolph? 2015 first round pick, <laughs> Cornelius Randolph. It's he's ugly. in Double A. He's at Reading, uh, hitting 188. His on base percentage 247, slugging 271. He's only got five extra base hits so far this year. Walked six times, not doing anything. And if you really want to look at it, position players. All right, Kingery still counts as a. Um, top prospect but he's in the majors so you have Hazley not impressive so far Moniac really disappointing Jalen Ortiz is probably the one guy that you get excited about um, that who's still in the system I mean he, he is literally only 19 years old and and he's playing at Lakewood but even he's hitting 158 <laughs> so far this season with only three extra bases. Only he's only got nine hits all year. It's so chilly up in Lakewood, Lakewood this time of year. Don't worry about it. Uh, okay, so so I mean, even Ortiz is not hitting. Um, and then you really have to get down to like Archimedes Gamboa um, to find a guy who's been decent. You know, two fifty five, three thirty nine. But I mean OPS six eighty four because he's he's got no power he's just a slap hitter, you know he's a, he's in clear water. I mean you, you get excited about Archimedes Gamboa, you get excited about Daniel. I can't Burrito. say yeah I can't say I've been checking minorleaguebaseball.com dot com every day to to check in on Archimedes Gamboa. Uh, right. know, if I'm being I mean, honest with you, and, and and you know what's crazy, and maybe this is a testament to the fact that they're actually competitive this year at the major league level. Past couple seasons, like you. You brought this up to me tonight, you know, before the show about the the lack of production by these positional guys, and I said, you know, I haven't really been following it like I have in years past. You know, it was watch the Phillies lose, and then you know, go on future Phillies on Twitter or you know, minorleaguebaseball.com, and and then check in on well, what was what did J.P. Crawford do last night? What did Scott Kingery do last night? What did Reese Hoskins do? What did Jorge Alfaro do last night? You know, that was that was like part of the daily routine for me. And I got to be honest with you, I haven't really been checking in on Mickey Moniak and and what some of these other guys have been doing to this point. Yeah, I mean, the only guys who've really gotten off, the only guy who's gotten off to a, a really nice start to his season, Roman Quinn, um, he's played really well in AAA, and he's probably ready to come up to the majors. Um, he's hitting two eighty nine on, you know, getting on base, stealing base, got 11, st- 11 steals in 22 games. Um, so he's, you know, running really well. I mean, his his running tools, and he's an 80. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty darn good. Um, you know, so he's off to a great start. Um, Dylan Cousins is off to a you know he hit the had the three homer game he was their player of the week last week, I mean and he's hitting two seventy five but he's, he's still striking out at the same rate he's actually striking out at a higher rate than he 40, was last year forty four strikeouts in hundred and two at bats oh you said it no major league baseball is trending in a direction in which strikeouts aren't taboo anymore right so I mean maybe <laughs> maybe the hundred and ninety five strikeouts that he brings to the table that they wouldn't be that big of a deal you know extrapolate that out over yeah. six hundred at bats. I mean, really, you're you're more than two hundred. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you're you're looking at like two twenty five. I mean, it's crazy, it's crazy. I I don't get it. So anyway, my my argument, my concern for the Phillies is that they don't have positional depth. Like, who do you turn to if somebody gets injured? Like, who are you calling up? I mean, you're not calling up any of these prospect types. You're you're going, you know, with a a veteran who's in the minor leagues right now. I mean, that's that's really where they're at. And that's that's not a that's not a good thing. Now, on the flip side, the Phillies have a wealth of pitching prospects in the minors. They have a ton. I mean, we got Sixto Sanchez not gotten off to a great start, but you know he's one. Adonis Medina, we've been hearing about him forever. Jojo Romero, Ranger Suarez, Franklin Colom. I mean, they got guys. And then they called up Sir Anthony Dominguez um, to replace Adam Morgan, who got hurt. Dominguez comes up. Now, he had been a uh, starter um, for the past six years in the system. 
And then in winter ball, they turned him into a reliever. Didn't do well, but he only pitched seven innings, but didn't do well in winter ball. But the idea was is they thought that he, he has the stuff to be a good um, back end of the bullpen kind of guy. Comes in yesterday in the 11 nothing game. Now, granted, uh, low, uh, low stress. You know, they're, they're up by a lot. Um, and he's throwing 98. Yeah. I, it, yeah, that's that's good. I mean, that's something that you, they don't have a lot of. It was all um, sliders, fastballs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. averaged ninety seven point nine miles an hour on the fastball last night, and uh, yeah, he was impressive. It's interesting, like you said, he last year at Clearwater was a starter, and he he was okay. Twenty uh, two year old, you know, p- playing in, in high A level baseball, and then all of a sudden, fast forward a year later, and and here he is, and he's up, and he's he's doing it, and. Uh, I feel like that's atypical for a Phillies prospect, honestly. I actually think he was – was he even on the, the top 20? He's the top the 30th-ranked prospect. That's that's what he came in as at the start of this year. So Yeah, he's I mean, number 11 now. Yeah. Well, it tells you there, a lot right? about where – it tells you a lot about what happened to this uh, team. And it's funny because, like, the Phillies had – you know, a lot of people said, you know, they got, like, the third or fourth best farm system in baseball. And you look at their top thirty. I mean, I don't know the exact number, but if I had a guess, I'd say it's twenty pitchers <laughs> and ten ten batters. And you know, of the ten, I mean, Kingery's still on the list. So I just um, don't think it seems as it doesn't seem as dire because they just elevated so many of these guys in the past year, right? So yeah. what what's coming down the pipeline is is a little bit of a concern, but it's it's not like these guys are 27, 28 years old, and you're wondering, well, who's going to replace them in in five seasons from now? It's these are the guys, or they had they had better be the guys, or they're in a world of trouble. Um, yeah. And I think what you're going to see as a result of this now is, and when we did discuss this a little bit, I think that you'll see them dip much more aggressively into the free agent market to fill holes, uh, to the trade market to fill holes. I think that that's where they're at in terms of their their rebuild. With that said, you obviously want to keep stocking prospects and have good options down the line. Uh, they they appear to be void of that right now. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I, I, so they, let's keep an eye on it. Let's let's you know, Come on, maybe man, we we're feeling good here. You know, they yeah, won two games in a row. Everything's looking good, <laughs> and then you got to bring up Mickey Moniak, yeah, and uh, I got to keep an eye on it. I mean, that's you know, when you're when you're the first overall pick in the draft, and you within a year and a half, you're dropped out of the top 100 prospects in baseball. That's that's concerning, and the numbers are are just. They're god awful. I mean, they're you can't get much worse than what he's provided so far. So I mean that that individually is concerning. But like you know, we should we should uh, make sure that we you know on this podcast from time to time uh, take a take a look in the minors, take a dip into into the into the stats down there, and see how guys are doing because you know it's easy to forget about these guys, especially when the team's playing well. But we need to know what they're doing because they are supposed to be the next wave. And if nothing else. If nothing else, Bob, they're players that if the Phillies need to go and make a trade for somebody, that yeah, you need this playing is the leverage. Well to, yeah, this is yep right to be the leverage in a trade. You remember the baby aces? You remember that whole thing? Like yes, <laughs> yeah. I do. I don't know. I just I definitely the the past few years have definitely uh, been a a crash course in the importance of having a a solid minor league system. You know, you you saw how they bottomed out and really how they had nothing nothing to turn to. And uh, once upon a time, I think like in 2010, 2011, I'm like they, they're rich, they're good, they stock, they they pack the park every night. They're going to have unlimited spending power. The Phillies are the new Yankees. They're the new Red Sox. They're never going to be bad again. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Uh, we learned a very hard lesson there that that was untrue, and uh, right. you do you do you see the importance of it, and uh, you know you you make a, a valid concerns here for sure. Yeah. Hey, uh, one final thing before we wrap this puppy up for the week. Sure. Um, we always like to tie something in from uh, elsewhere in baseball outside of the Phillies, uh, whether it's a uh, a league wide issue or something specific to a team or whatever. This week's was is one that kind of. Um, kind of relates to the Phillies in in a very small way. But um, I texted you the other day when the Mets waived um, Matt Harvey. And I said, Matt Harvey, would you? He ended up getting traded to the Reds today for Devin Mesoraco, who's been oft injured. Um, I mean, Mets are so desperate for catching that they're like, they're willing to take a guy who's never healthy and hope that he can cross their fingers and hope that he can get healthy. 
um, and, and help them out in some capacity. But so the Reds, I look at this, you know, they got Tucker Barnhart as their guy behind the plate. Um, I look at this as they're one of the worst teams in baseball. They're taking on Matt Harvey. Hope give, you know, they'll put him, plug him right in the rotation. Say, go out there and pitch, Matt. Figure it out, and hope that sometime before the trade deadline, he starts looking better, and then they can then swing him over to another contender uh, for a young prospect uh, somewhere. Um, which still leads this question, Matt Harvey, would you? Well, uh, when you have a guy, I guess, that has shown at the major league level that type of, of dominance, though it was, uh, you know, I guess, what, 2015 was the last time he was really, truly good. Um, it's it's hard to, to say no to that. I mean, if, if the cost is low enough, I mean, you say, hey, it's, it's low-risk, high-reward scenario. And so that really is – Frankly, how many baseball teams have, have had success? They they make very, uh, you know, they make moves that don't really run them any risk, and, and sometimes they pay off, and sometimes they don't. Right? It just it, it amazes me. I don't know how many athletes I can name who have had a a quicker and more drastic fall from grace than, than Matt Harvey. I mean, I know many Mets fans. I went to Monmouth University, so I kind of went up, the, you know, to college and became friends with a lot of Mets fans up there and, and when they were good and all that stuff. And it was like happy Harvey day and the dark night. And, and, and people love this guy. I mean, you remember it, it, 2015 in the world series is game five, right? And he, he comes back into the dugout and says to Terry Collins, like, this is my game. I'm going back out there. And, and he loses the game. And it was just, it was never the same after that. It was, that was it. And I mean, yeah. he's been a disaster and there's been questions about his work ethic and his, you know, how he relates to his teammates and, you know, is he even healthy? And it just, there are a lot of concerns with him. I mean, if it's, if it's a matter of trading a, you know, essentially a, a nothing player uh, in return for him. Yeah, sure. Why not? But I don't, ex- I mean, I'll be honest with you, forget Woodja. I just don't really expect him to bounce back. I don't, I think the guy's cooked and I don't think the Mets would have been in the business of just turning the page on a guy with, with that type of talent, you know, and a guy that had performed to that level only a couple seasons ago, if they really felt there was any realistic chance that he would return to that form. Um, I- I'm going to take the opposite side of that. Okay. I'm going to take the opposite side and tell you that I think that the Mets and Matt Harvey needed a divorce. And that Matt Harvey will go somewhere else, and I mean, he may never be the um, Cy Young candidate he was in 2013, um, when you know when his WHIP was 0.9 <laughs> or whatever it was in 178 innings. Um, but you know, he comes back off of when he came back off of Tommy John surgery in 2015. He had a really nice year. I mean, a really nice year. Um, and then it just started to go downhill for him from there. And so 16, he only threw 92 innings, 17, he only threw 92 innings. Um, and it got, got a little worse this year. He's not been great either. Um, he only had four starts though, and they were in the terrible weather and the cold and the and rain. One was good and, against the Phillies, right? He did have a good start yeah, against the Phillies. I he had a good yeah. start against the Phillies. So he, he didn't pitch in good weather. Um, and then they just, you know, unceremoniously dumped him into the bullpen. And there was obviously there had been a lot of talk about this before. The two sides were at odds. And, and they found him a home in Cincinnati. So now he's going to go to Cincinnati. He's going to be on a bad team. And he's going to get – he's not going to be in the, in the big media spotlight. I'm telling you he's going to go there, and I think he's going to be okay. Uh, is he going to get back to that 2013-2015 form? I don't. I don't think he may ever get back there. But can he get back to a level where he's a quality number four guy? I think so. I certainly think so. And so then, come trade deadline, if we're sitting here in July and we're saying, "Boy, you know, the Phillies are you know two games out, three games out. Um, they've been playing pretty well, but they really just need that extra arm." I, w- I wouldn't be opposed to taking a chance on a guy like this, assuming he assuming he does what I think he can do in Cincinnati. I mean, if he continues to you know have a seven ERA and you know fourteen base runners per nine inning, then no, obviously we're not gonna we're not gonna go down that path. But if he gets somewhere back to what a number four starter should be, he's twenty nine. 
He's I, not I just, old. I just wonder about, and I don't mean health in the terms of can he go out there, take the ball, and pitch. I just mean, like, what type of damage is that arm sustained? I mean, what, do you have a thoracic issue? Isn't that, I guess that was the, the primary problem yeah, with the him, th- correct? thoracic outlet syndrome. Yeah, thoracic, yeah. yeah. Um, 95.9 miles an hour average fastball in 2015, and uh, this year it's 92.6. I mean, he's just not the same guy, right? And you're, you're, you're kind of slotting more as a back end of the rotation type, and that's fair. That's fine. Um, but, I mean, you lose – more than three miles an hour on your fastball in a three-year span, and, and you're not even 30 years old yet. I mean, unless this is a thing where he's going to continue to gain strength and there may be a kick in velocity. I mean, but he's not the same pitcher, you know, and that's no. the bottom line. And 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 I guess, yeah, sure, can he make himself into a fourth, fifth starter and, and have value for a major league team? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, I don't know how he plays in Philadelphia. You talk about a change of scenery, and I, I like your point about going to Cincinnati. It's a little bit of a different climate there, but uh, him coming to Philadelphia, I, I think it'd probably be more of the same in terms of all the, the contextual factors that he has to deal with. It, it could well be, but the, what I'm saying is is that if you're, if you're going to make a push for the playoffs this year and you need to just add that arm, rather than – Going after a guy who is going to cost you a little bit of something, which is very likely if whoever's available come the trade deadline, most teams are going to be looking for some value, like real value. But a guy like Matt Harvey from the Reds, who are so far away from from where they need to be and would take a marginal prospect in return, I think that that's one of those buy-low situations that could turn out to be what you need it to be for this year and say hey we're going to try and make the playoffs and if Matt Harvey can give us you know eight decent starts 10 decent starts the rest of the season as a number four guy then that's perfect and it doesn't cost you anything what what is the Phillies equivalent to Devin Mazzarocco I mean what what that's my that's my point so the so the like Devin Mesoraco is nothing. I mean, he's he the Reds paid nothing. He Devin Mesoraco was barely played for the last three seasons. I I, I couldn't even tell you he was an All Star f- in 2014. Yes, but what has he done since? <laughs> yeah. Well, what has Matt Harvey done? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah, no. But I'm, I'm serious. I mean, like, I mean, he's he's nothing. He's uh, you know, he, he's he had. I think I don't, I don't think he's had 300 at bats since 2014. I mean, that, so, you know, he's a 170. Here you go. I'm looking at it now. 2015, 45 at-bats. 2016, 50 at-bats. 2017, 141. So far this year, 41. That's, that's 290-some at-bats in four seasons, and he's 30 years old. I mean, the Mets are desperate for a catcher, and this is what they do? This is the move they make? This is all they get from Matt Harvey? Come on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, I the Reds would take any prospect, I think, any young player who's in the minor leagues who's got even the least bit of promise as maybe a reliever or something down the road. They would take him for Matt take that for Matt Harvey and consider it a win because they weren't doing anything with Devin Mesoraco. Yeah, and, so, and the New York, New York newspapers are kind of like good riddance. You know, I, Mike Vaccaro, the New York Post, kind of wrote an article today saying, like, this was the thing that had to happen. And, and believe it or not, the Mets actually won this trade. I mean, that's where they're at. And uh, he says uh, the worst news for the, <laughs> the worst news for Matt Harvey is, has have you ever tried to find a good time after midnight in Cincinnati? Like, good luck with that. And uh, I mean, so they they're kind of taking this like smart ass approach to it. Like, yeah, it's it's time for him to go. And. He's done, and, and Devin Mesoraco is nothing, but nothing is better than Matt Harvey at this point. That seems to be kind of the vibe from what I've, I've read in terms of the immediate reaction to this trade. So, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Be, I, you know it, it's definitely worth it, – it's, it's an interesting point, and it's definitely something to kind of keep an eye on. My money, like if, like if we were to make a bet, like I don't know what the baseline is here, but I'm, I'm saying that he's not going to be I, – I don't think this is going to work out. That's going to be my – that's my I, and position. I, and I think he's better than replacement level. I do. I think we, he's better we, than replacement level. That's something level. we can revisit then here throughout the yeah, summer. We'll I check know, in absolutely. on this from time to time. We, don't, we haven't disagreed a whole lot yet. Like I'm kind of waiting to like get to that thing. It's going to happen where I just say, no, I, I'm totally on the other side of this. Like I'm yeah. not up in arms over Matt Harvey. Like I'm not going to like – this isn't the – 
like I'm, th- this isn't my my cause, but I'm I'm very interested to wait for that one thing to pops up where I say, no, you could not be more wrong about this. So we'll, we'll check in on that throughout the summer here and yeah, see how it goes from the Reds. That's fine. I, I I'm betting we're talking about him as a potential trade dead, deadline addition for somebody because he had a little bit of a resurgence with resurgence with the Reds. All right. Okay. That's it. That's all I got to say. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I think with that, uh, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, we were at uh, just around an hour today. Um, some good stuff. And, uh, you know, looking ahead, uh, Philly's got uh, the finish off this giant series. Um, and uh, the Mets come in this weekend for, for what should be uh, a real interesting series because they've been struggling a lot. And I think it's an opportunity for the, for the Phillies to really um, – uh, take advantage of of, a, of an NL East opponent, which they haven't done yet. And then by the time we check back in with you guys next week, they'll be uh, Phillies will be out on the road for their first interleague games against the Baltimore Orioles next week. So um, anyway, uh, don't forget to check out the other shows here on the Crossing Broad Network. We got the uh, Crossing Broadcast, which uh, runs usually runs Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, I think they're going to bump it a day to try and uh, tie into game five of uh, Sixers Celtics. Um, so look for that one. Um, Snow the Goalie, uh, which I do with Russ Joy, uh, Flyers podcast, which will continue into the offseason weekly. What do you guys um, talk about on, on that during the offseason? Like what, what's Snow the Goalie going to be about this week? You have like a little teaser yet or are you guys not there? <laughs> We're, no, we're gonna no. There's something. There's some. There's some things to talk about. I mean, the big thing you want my you know the real big thing. Here's the teaser for you. The Pittsburgh Penguins just lost to the Washington Capitals in the second round, and Washington really kind of handed them handled them really well, right? Yes, I saw a Flyers fan celebrating this on Twitter last night. As all they should not be like celebrating. Quasi, they should not be, like it no. was like a quasi Flyers victory. Yeah, they should not be celebrating because what does this tell you? This tells you the Flyers are that much further away. Yeah. Because if the Penguins were that vulnerable and the Flyers got roasted by them in this in this series, then they're further away than they really think they are, and that's that's the that's going to be the genesis of the well, conversation. See, there you go, people. And tune there you in go. To snow the goalie for that. Very snow good. the goalie. Yep. And then on the weekends we have our um, two soccer podcasts. It's always soccer in Philadelphia uh, with the Philadelphia Union hosted by Kevin Kincaid. You know, next Saturday I'm actually going to be at a Philadelphia Union game. Bob? Is, is it like part of a bachelor party or like is this on your own <laughs> no free so here's will? The deal. like a, <laughs> no I, I i and i don't i'm not a soccer guy i i don't like soccer i don't like going to soccer nothing about soccer but um for my reg, my day job my 9 to 5 job my bosses in dc um are huge mls fans which is tells you that there's something wrong with them but um they had reached out to me and said hey we're going to come up to philly for real salt lake the one guy's from utah uh real salt lake against against the union if you want to grab dinner or something so i took it a step further i contacted the union set up a whole thing where we're going to uh, have an experience on the field and everything else and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna even write a story about my experience as a non soccer fan uh, at a soccer game and put it on Crossing Broad. Maybe so, you'll have an epiphany there. Maybe that'll be like a turning point for you and soccer. Uh, no. Yeah. Um, and then so. <laughs> no. So. And then especially not if it's a, look. If I'm gonna go, if if I'm gonna have that epiphany, it's not going to be with MLS. MLS isn't even. It's like minor league soccer. Um, I would if I were going to have that epiphany, it would have to be with European soccer, and you could listen to the people talk about that too. Rush Joy, Phil Kaidel, uh, with uh, Crossing Broad FC, also on Saturdays uh, on the Crossing Broad Network. We're killing so, it with these uh, crossover promos. I mean, we're yeah, getting man. pretty good at this now, right? Yeah, it's a lot it's, more natural. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I'll figure it out eventually. No, that's um, what I'm saying. Like I'm chiming in now. We're having a little small talk about the MLS. This is good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's quality, quality podcasting. Um, so yeah. Also, don't forget when you uh, download the podcast, um, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play uh, or wherever you uh, download your podcasts, um, give us a review. Uh, we prefer five stars, but uh, if you don't think we're that good, you can go lower. That's fine. Um, but always give us uh, some feedback. So write us a little note. Tell us what you think of the show. Um, and uh, maybe down the road we'll read some of those uh, online. Uh, Russ likes to do that on the other ones. So just to kind of let people know what uh, the fans think of the show. But um, anyway, we'll be back next week and, uh, and with more great Philly stuff to talk about. So for Bob Wankel, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo, and we'll see you next week.